Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Waypoint Podcast, a new alternate media production podcast where we go over the weekly Torah portions. Bradley has put together a lovely lesson for you for this week, and so I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Waypoint Podcast. I'd like to take the opportunity to personally welcome you. In my studies of the Parsha this week, I came across a few interesting tidbits that I would like to personally share with you. I, I think uh, these will all be enlightening for all of us. So, naturally, uh, you know, I read through the Parsha and... Uh, gave it a, a good bit of thought and uh, decided to also look into some of the rabbinic commentary and especially the Midrash Rabbah, right? Now, most of you know this is my favorite Parsha. Um, and most of you know uh, why this is my favorite Parsha. Uh, for those of you who might be new, um, we'll go into a little bit of why this is my favorite Parsha, uh, but we're actually going to be focusing on some of the periphery of those reasons. I've done other lessons uh, that are also on our YouTube that you can find where I give a much more thorough breakdown of why this is my favorite Parsha. Um, but needless to say, we'll be focusing mostly on the first few verses of Genesis or Bereshit in Hebrew. Um, so... The Midrash Rabbah on Bereshit opens by explaining that uh, the great Rabbi Hoshaya chose to open with the verse Proverbs 8.30. Now, Proverbs 8.30 says, Then I was the craftsman beside him. I was his daily delight, always rejoicing before him. There's two interesting things that I noticed about this. Now, understand, the Rabbi is endeavoring to explain in a sense, what the Torah is and the purpose that it had in creation. Two interesting things I noticed about this verse is that it is the wisdom of God. It is the Torah speaking in the first person. Uh, so when it says, then I was, the Hebrew there is ve'ehye, right? The same ehye that we read in, in Exodus where Hashem says to Moses, ehye asher ehye, right? Uh, which most people translate as I am that I am. That's not necessarily an accurate translation. It, it's actually I will be what I will be. Um, so it's 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 fascinating for anybody who wants to emphasize on I am statements in scripture. This is actually one uh, because the, the Torah is itself saying, then I am, I will be, I was. In this case, it's I was the craftsman beside him. Um, the craftsman here is the word that the rabbi is giving the most emphasis to. The word is amon, right? So what the Midrash continues to explain is the emphasis of this word amon. It explains that there are actually numerous uh, possible meanings that it has throughout scripture. So it actually lists a few. Uh, one should be very familiar to us. Uh, the rabbi points out that the word Amon also means pedagogue, which uh, in, more or less this rabbi explains to mean uh, nanny uh, or caretaker, if you will. 
Um, because that's that's what a nanny does. A, a nanny teaches and protects, instructs, and cares for you know the infants of the family that they are a nanny to. So he he cites this, and then he cites Numbers eleven twelve as one of the uh, scriptural citations where we see this word Amon take on such a connotation. Right, which says. Uh, did I conceive all these people, or did I give birth to them, that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom, just as the nurse carries an infant to the land you promised to their fathers? So, that that one's pretty clear, cut, and dry, and we'll explain a little bit more about why that should be familiar to us a little later. Um, the next one, though, is covered. The word amon also can mean covered. Right, the scriptural citation the rabbi gives for this is Lamentations four five, which says, "To those who used to eat delicacies, are desolate in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple or covered in purple, embrace trash heaps." So again, we see this this word amon here takes on the com the connotation of what those who were brought up in or or brought up covered in. Right, this is what these these people were clothed in in their upbringing. Uh, it also can mean hidden, as the rabbi points out. Hidden, which uh, some of you may already be well aware of where this is going, but he pulls a verse from Esther, uh, Esther 2.7, which says, <clears throat> He had raised Hadassah. Uh, alternatively, he had hid away, or he had hidden Hadassah. That is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The girl was attractive and had a beautiful figure. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her to him as his own daughter. We'll explain a little more of that in a bit. I'm, I'm pretty excited to get into some of these. And then another alternative translation or another alternative meaning that this word Amon can take on is great, right? Which his scriptural citation there is Nahum 3.8 which says, are you better than no Amon situated among the channels of the Nile? Now, it's understood that this no Amon is a reference to Alexandria, Egypt, uh, which is named after Alexander the Great, hence the connotation of great here. Let's see... Now... The Midrash doesn't actually focus on any of these possible meanings. It lists them, I suppose, for the sake of completeness. Um, but it actually focuses the most on its definition as uh, artisan or craftsman, you know, as, as we read earlier. That is what the Midrash goes on to explain. Uh, if you read it, you, you which you can, right? Uh, the Midrash Rabbah, Bereshit 1.1, uh, and then continuing on, what you will read is going to be, uh, in its own way, a breakdown of why this is my favorite, um, my favorite Parsha. Uh, but we're not actually going to focus so much on that, okay? Uh, I found it interesting that the rabbi did list these four definitions that Amon can take on and then doesn't really move forward to uh, expound on those. So 
I thought maybe we would do that, right? So if the Torah is Amon in the most complete sense, right, then all four of these definitions that the rabbi outlines should be applicable to the Torah in some form or fashion. And that's what I figured we would explore on. Um, and maybe in the interim figure out how this actually finds its place in the Genesis narrative that we've read this week. So the first one, as I said, should be familiar to some of us, uh, being pedagogue, right? Why should this be familiar to us? So I know many of us who are coming out of a, a normative Christian mindset are familiar with the argumentation against Torah observance that the Torah was a schoolmaster, right? But now that we've been brought to Christ, we have no need for the schoolmaster anymore. So that word schoolmaster is pedagogue. First and foremost, the most fascinating thing you should find about that is that Paul is not making this up, right? Galatians 3.24, this is the verse we're discussing. Paul didn't make this up. Paul is citing this midrash, right? Paul is using teachings that he is already familiar with as a Pharisee, and we see this all throughout Paul's, Paul's letters. Uh, he almost doesn't ever make up anything that is absolutely original. He's almost always pulling from something that is an earlier teaching of rabbinic tradition. So he says, therefore, the Torah became our guardian, our pedagogue, right? Or schoolmaster, depending on the translation you're reading. We here like to use the TLV uh, or the HCSB. Uh, for this, I mostly use the TLV. Uh, so that is what I'm quoting now. Therefore, the Torah became our guardian or our pedagogue to lead us to Messiah so that we might be made right based on trusting. Okay. <clears throat> So for some of us, it is quite a relief to note that Paul didn't make this up, that he was actually citing a common Pharisaic understanding of the Torah as a caretaker, guardian, and an instructor. This is all implicit in the word pedagogue, which I mentioned earlier. The, the idea that a nanny is not only a caretaker for the children, but uh, she's a guardian for them and also an instructor for them. So the Torah instructs us in what is good and what is evil, what is righteous and what is wicked. It helps us to separate and distinguish between the light and the dark, as we see later in Genesis, where Hashem himself makes distinction and separates between light and darkness, right? Um, and in this way, the knowledge of these things, uh, by the knowledge of these things, we are guarded by the knowledge of Torah from wickedness, by the knowledge and understanding of what is right and good. So that's a simple one. But now the next, how is Torah a moan in the sense of a covering? Now, this one I, I love. This one um, I love simply because of what I get to kind of cite in it. Now, some, some of you watching right now are students of the Tanya, or Lekuti Amarim, um, which is more so a philosophical breakdown of uh, the soul and its relation to the creation and God and how uh, sin and uh, obeying Torah affects the soul and our relationship with God. Um, 
just a, a very brief overview for those of you who are not familiar with what Tanya is. Um, you can get uh, the series on Quixote Publishing. Uh, their website has a five-book series called Lessons in Tanya. Um, if you're if you're very new to the walk, I might I might try and stay at least three years learning just the Torah before jumping into that. Uh, but either way, what the Tanya endeavors to explain is that the commandments are worn by our soul like a garment, right? That they, they, they cover us like a garment. So if that's the case, then, then that would explain how Torah is, is a moan, as in a covering, right? Uh, so what Tanya says in chapter 4 is the soul possesses three auxiliary powers, which are its instruments of expression. Like garments, they can be donned or shed at will. When the soul utilizes any of these three powers, it is clothed in them. When it does not use them, it is divested of them. Also, just as garments give expression to the wearer's beauty and importance, so too, when the soul dons and utilizes these garments, its intellect and emotion find expression. They, the garments, are thought, speech, and action. These are the three ways that our soul is able to actualize and make into a reality uh, what it feels, thinks, and experiences, right? We all understand the idea of, of the internal thought, right? And that's something that, that Yeshua commands us to guard against, right, is impure thoughts. Uh, and that is replete all through Judaism, is to guard against impure thoughts. Um, but thought itself is internal, right? It's, it's not necessarily something that becomes external until it is either spoken or carried out through action. And so, hence, these being the three garments which the soul wears, either in, in use of the commandments, in which case the soul is wearing the commandment in the form of either thought, speech, or action, um, or in disobedience, in which case it... It's not wearing the commandment as a garment, and therefore uh, it's it's becoming unclean. It's it's getting dirty in this in this aspect. Now, for some of you who who may be naysayers, right? I understand that not everybody is fully on board with uh, rabbinic philosophy, but the idea that the commandments can be worn, or rather, the idea in general of a spiritual clothing, so to speak, shouldn't be foreign to us. Um, this is something that we see actually uh, in Ephesians 6, right? Paul gives us a breakdown of the armor of God. Now, I'm not going to go into the, the nitty-gritty of the armor of God. I could base an entire other lesson around how each aspect, right, each article of clothing involved in the armor of God uh, pertains to and relates to and is derived from Torah. Uh, and I, I may very well do a whole lesson on that because I, I think that that would be beautiful. But suffice it to say that, again, Paul is pulling from an idea that already existed in rabbinic Judaism. He's not coming up with something original, right? The idea that the soul can wear something, right? Uh, uh, an article of clothing as, a, as like a parabolic... <sighs> idea to express 
the effect of our actions on the soul. Uh, that's not a foreign concept, and it shouldn't be a foreign concept to us. Uh, Tanya just endeavors to explain the exact same concept in a bit of a different way. Paul uses the the analogy of armor, and that is spectacular, right? Because it is a spiritual war that we are involved in. That's that's what life is. Life is a spiritual war, which Tanya also endeavors to explain in its own in its own unique ways. Um, so, uh, just to run this one real quick that is how torah is amon it's a covering right it's it's the garment that our soul wears and that shouldn't be a foreign concept to anybody who's familiar with the new testament so the next one how is torah hidden right that's that that was one of the other uh, that was the third of the definitions the rabbi says uh, could be applied to amon how is it hidden now, there's a few verses that come to mind here and I'll read all of them off very quickly. So you have Deuteronomy 29, 28. The secret things belong to Hashem our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children in order to do all the words of his Torah. So there we already have secret things and that which is revealed being, uh, being tied to the Torah here. But you also have Daniel 2, 22. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells in him. That's going to become very relevant in a little bit. Um, again, so we, we have the contrast of light and darkness that we see initially right there at the beginning of this Parsha Bereshit. Um, now, this one is a, a very popular one. Many people, especially anybody who's seen the, the movie One Night with the King, which is uh, a dramatization um, and an embellishment on the Esther story. Uh, it's a love story, and it's a beautiful movie, but it is an embellishment. <laughs> uh, let's see. Proverbs 25.2 It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, and the glory of kings to search it out. And we even have from the New Testament... Romans 16, 25, and 26. Now the one who is able to strengthen your accord to my good news and, uh, and the proclamation of Yeshua the Messiah, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages, but now is revealed through the writings of the prophets, has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the eternal God to bring about obedience of faith. There again, we have this idea of a mystery being directly tied to the concept of Torah and obedience of faith, which Paul which Paul brings out here. But the one that stuck out the most to me is, again, a very popular one. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119.11. Uh, that I quoted from the King James simply because that is what I have memorized. Uh, I've explained this before, so I got brought up reading the King James. I am by no means a King James onlyist, and I can point out a number of problems with the King James translation. But it is because of its poetic nature, it is easier to commit to memory, at least for me. Um, so that's if 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 you ever hear me quote scripture from memory, it will almost always be the the KJV. Um, even though what I use on a daily basis will be either a Tree of Life version or uh, the Holman uh, Christian Standard Bible. 
So, the Torah, though, because that's what the word here, thy word, that is the Torah. Matter of fact, if we go back to our Proverbs chapter 8, which the rabbi started this Midrash with, that's what we're going to find is an equation of the Torah with the word, right? Um, which is going to be very interesting approaching John 1, uh, which I will bring up here in, in a bit. So this is how the Torah is is hidden. Now, the New Covenant, as expressed in Jeremiah 31, 32, Hashem says that he will take the Torah, he will take his Torah and write it within us, and that he will put it on our hearts. So this is the exact same concept that David here in the Psalms is talking about. So the Torah is hidden, it's it's amon in this sense of as being hidden within us, right? So that it can find self-expression via one of our three garments, thought, speech, or action, and become actualized in us, through us. And this is how this is how we demonstrate godliness to the world. This is how this is one of the most effective ways of showing the world who who God is, is simple obedience of faith. Right? It's it's not something that you have to preach and tell people about because actions speak louder than words. It's one of the oldest and most true statements that has ever been made. Oh. <sighs> Now, as the passage in Romans points out, it becomes revealed when we act in obedience. That is the Torah, again, or the word of the Lord. Um, and this is one way that it has the ability to bring light into a dark world. Just as Hashem himself brought light into where there was only darkness in Bereshit. That's what we find, right? So now we're bringing this all back to our Parsha, is that what we see is that there was darkness. Darkness was already there, right? Bereshit bar Elohim et veta'aretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? The next verse immediately says, now the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. Now there we see covering again. You see the Spirit of God covering the surface of the waters, or even it's interesting to notice about that, right? Uh, the word there, tohum, is almost, it's like one letter shy of being almost a, a plural form of that tohu, right? That 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 chaotic state that we read before, formless and void. Tohum, tohu uh, vabohu would be the words there. So tohum here, right? Uh, so over, over all of this formlessness, the spirit of God covered. That's that's what we're reading here at the at the end of at the end of this. So again, we're kind of bringing all of these back into uh, Bereshit, and out of that darkness, Hashem spoke, and His word, His Torah, brought light, and that is what we are doing in this dark world that we live in, right? Via our thought, our speech, and our action, right? The three garments that cover our soul uh, by submitting to the Torah when we don those spiritual garments, when we put on that spiritual armor of God, uh, we are bringing light into a darkened world. So I, I, 
that is why this stood out to me the most, I think, is the way that not only we can find throughout the Tanakh, but even also from the New Testament, examples where each of these different definitions that the rabbi gives for Ammon are applicable to the Torah, uh, but how all of them actually go all the way back to Bereshit. And they find their expression in the initial actions of God himself. The initial what? The initial thought, speech, and deeds of Hashem himself at the beginning of time itself. Um, and I think that that is probably one of the most profound lessons we can derive from these verses is that in the very beginning, Hashem himself is, is still acting as an example of how we are to be in our daily lives, in our daily walk, right? Is is to utilize the Torah in its many definitions, in its many capacities as it applies to this word amon, right? And by our walk, bring order to our own lives, bring light into a darkened world, um, and in doing so, implanting, implanting that, Right, because those those who those who see and those who hear, that's that's going to be stuck in their minds too, and stuck in their hearts, and and in and in this way, a small seed of it gets hidden. Again, we have we have this this word amon, which can mean hidden, uh, in their own hearts, and it may take root, and that is how godliness spreads. Um. From there, I, I said I would get into John 1 a little bit, and that is because, again, in John 1, we have this exact same example, right? Most of us are familiar with the very beginning, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I have an article on the website uh, giving a thorough breakdown of a more Judaic perspective on what John was expressing in those words, but picking up in verse 2, uh, it was with God in the beginning, and all things were made through it, and apart from it, nothing was made that has come into being. Again, we see this idea of this word being spoken of used as the tool of creation, which is what the rabbi already said earlier on um, in expressing the idea that this word amon uh, can mean the the artisan, as in, as in connoting that the Torah was the artisan's tool of creation. Um... Verse 4, in him was life, and life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overpowered it. Again, we see this, this contrast of light and darkness because that is what the Torah is, right? Um, I For a moment, I, I, I debated in my head over whether or not I wanted to go over uh, the dichotomy of the two trees, right? You have the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but but Torah functions as both of those also, um, because the Torah does give us knowledge of good and evil by teaching us what is sin and, and what is good to do, what is righteous to do. Um, and that, with that knowledge, allows us to walk in obedience and uh, walk in the path of life, which Hashem says to the children of Israel at the two mountains I have placed before you, blessing and cursing, life and death. I would that you choose life, right? He says that he gave the commandments that we should live by them. And I, I really heavily weighed on that. Um, but this contrast of light and darkness that we find throughout, uh, I thought, you know, maybe it's a little basic. 
Um, but I'm sure that there's a little more we can dig out of that. So uh, I, I certainly hope uh, that this has been enriching uh, for some of you. I know that exploring these four definitions, last definition, ah, great. How is the Torah great? Um, I, I, I feel that question uh, doesn't need explanation, uh, but we can still give it. Um, without taking too much time, let me just say, go through Psalm 119. If you want to see how Torah is great, um, you can see in David's own words how great he thought the Torah was. Uh, but furthermore, the Torah is literally so great that it was the tool that was used to bring all of creation into existence. It brought light out of nowhere that could not become, that could not be overcome by darkness, which was there initially. Um, so yes, Torah is most certainly great. Uh, but other than that, I didn't go too much farther, and I think I'm probably a little over my time initially. We didn't anticipate uh, the Waypoint podcast to go this long, but this is actually a longer Parsha anyway. Um, this Parsha, I believe this week, uh, extends into Genesis chapter 6, whereas most Parshas might be three or four chapters. So I feel a little more okay about going a little bit over time on this one, just because this this is a, a longer than normal Parsha anyway. Um and, you know, definitely uh, comment your thoughts, comment, uh, you know, maybe study the Parsha throughout the week and next week before next week's episode, comment on this video uh, and give me some of your thoughts. What did you learn from the Parsha this week? Um, let's teach each other that way. I think that would be beautiful. And uh, with that, I'll hand it back to Seamus. Hello, everybody. Me again. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Waypoint. If you did, please let us know by hitting the like button and maybe the subscribe button while you're at it. We hope to see you again next week. A special thanks to this month's Patreon supporters. From all of us here at Alternate Media, have a wonderful Shmini Atzeret and Simchat Torah. We'll see you next week.